So Jackie is a full-time traveling speaker and worship leader from Orange County. She has two albums, also with OCP and Spirit and Song. She works with Steubenville Conferences, Life Teen, and Diocesan Youth all over the country and the world. And in August of last year, she married the love of her life, Bobby Angel. Yes. And the, the two of them reside in Seal Beach. So please help me welcome Jackie Francois. Oh, Angel. Hey, you guys. Um, yeah, so my name is, I got married six months ago. Um, my name is now Jackie Angel. I mean, come on. Like, oh, we're going to hear about sex from Jackie Angel. <laughs> Great. She's like a nun or something. Oh, my gosh. You brought the sign. That is amazing. That's from like five years ago. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I always prayed, like, because I liked my last name, Francois. Like, that's a pretty cool name. You know, I was born Jacques Jean Francois, um, you know, which is, of course, Polish. Um, no, it's not. I'm, I'm actually half Polish, but I'm French too. That's why. Um, and so I always prayed, like, dear baby Jesus, please, and girls, we ladies, we know this, right? Like, a last name, a new last name is important, right? So, dear baby Jesus, seven pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, please give me a last name that is not like Floofenhofen or Farfanugan, you know? So I got Angel, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's, it's been pretty cool being married. And, uh, you know, I was single for 29 years and, and trying my best to live out uh, my Catholic faith for especially the last 11 years of being single. Because when I was 18 years old, I had a conversion in my faith. Maybe like some of you guys, I was, you know, I was raised Catholic. I was kind of raised a lukewarm Catholic. My mom's Catholic. My dad's not. And when I was 18 years old, I went to a youth conference that changed my life. And I started studying my faith. I said, I want to know why I'm Catholic. And I don't want to just be 50% Catholic. I don't want to just be 80% Catholic. I want to be all out Catholic. Like, I want to know the tough questions. Like, I want to ask the tough questions. Like, why do we believe what we do about abortion, same-sex marriage, contraception, and so I started researching the questions, you know, and I, I got the answers. And every time I got the answer, I was like, man, the church knows so much more than me, an 18-year-old. You know, like, whoa, like a 2,000-year-old church could know more than me? That's crazy. And I just kept finding, as I kept searching, I kept finding how beautiful the church was. So tonight's topic is bringing sexy back to its original meaning. Um, but we're going to start with a prayer. Yeah. Oh, she just got it. That's great. Congratulations. Um, all right. That was good. That was good. I liked it. Okay. We're going to start with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for bringing each and every person here today. God, we know that you have brought us here for a purpose. Maybe something that we thought we were going to hear, we're really not going to hear. And maybe something that we need to hear is going to challenge our hearts, convict our hearts, and maybe, hopefully, if it convicts our hearts, it changes the way we live. I pray for each person here for their holiness, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray, Lord, that we set this world on fire with the good news. And God, thank you for creating us male and female. Thank you for showing us who we are, how you've made us, and what we were made for. And Mother Mary, you are the perfect model of all humanity. Mama Mary, you've shown us that what it means to be a disciple, what it means to receive Jesus and to give him to the world. So we ask for your powerful intercession, Mary, as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So I was looking, um, I was looking up the, the definition, like the synonyms of the word sexy versus beautiful, right? Because girls, a lot of times girls, we want to be like sexy or whatever, dress sexy. Or, and I always ask the question, well, would you rather be sexy or beautiful? Well, when you look up the word, the synonyms, the synonyms for the word beautiful are like gorgeous, stunning, captivating, you know, like, like lovely, like that kind of thing. But when you were, look up the word sexy, it's lewd, lustful, provocative, and my favorite, bettable. Like, oh, like if someone sees you as sexy, they see you as bettable. Now that might sound great if it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, but when it's like an 80 year old man checking you out, you're like, ew, gross, you know? So I, mean, I don't know about that. But I was thinking like, how sad, like if I call my husband sexy, like I'm not looking at him in a lustful way at all. Like I'm not looking at him in a provocative way. Um, although yes, I'm like, Hey, I want to pounce you. Um, because Catholics, we know I, I you know, one thing I want to say is Catholics the one thing that I love about, one of the things I love about the Catholic Church is that we are not Puritans, and we don't pretend like we have no sexual desires. If anything, I try to dispel that myth, right? Especially when I talk to high school teenagers with my husband, I'm like, listen, we as Catholics, we are people of passion and desire, okay? So, like, it's not saying, oh, let's not talk about sex. No. In fact, as Catholics, we say we need to talk about sex, and we need to bring it back to its original meaning. Why? Because when you look at the, you know, thesaurus, and it says that sexy means lustful, that's not the definition of sexy. And when you listen to the radio and you hear Rihanna's song, and I remember listening to the words of the song, S&M, on the radio for the first time, and I remember hearing, she's singing about chains and whips, right? She's singing about S&M. And she's like, um, singing about chains and whips excite me. And it was crazy. I remember hearing on the radio, and they bleeped out the word sex. And I was like, oh, you bleeped out the best word in there. Like, she's talking about all these crazy things, and they bleeped out the word sex. I was like, that was the best, most sacred word that you, in the song, and you bleeped it out as if it was a dirty word, right? And you guys, we're told a lot of lies by our culture. We're told, like, I was told for 29 years, because I was a virgin when I got married, um, I was told for 29 years that if I didn't have sex, I was going to explode. Well, it didn't happen. Thank God. I'm here. <laughs> I was waiting one day. I was waiting for, like, to, like, spontaneously combust, and like, where did Jackie go? She didn't have sex. <laughs> right? And really we're told like these, these lies like about, about sex and like, oh my gosh, like if you're not having sex, you don't know, you don't know what's going on in life, you know? And, and I, I was told all these crazy things because I was very honest about um, being a virgin and I was very proud of it. And like, listen, like I made this decision when I was in eighth grade and it was not easy. You know, in fact, Lolo Jones, who is an Olympian, actually both in the summer and winter Olympics, she said that being a virgin, being a virgin is tougher than training for the Olympics. And people, you know, here's the deal, like we need to bring sexy back. And um, what I mean by its original meaning is that Pope John Paul, who is one of the, I, I love Pope John Paul, he's written three fourths of the church's teachings on sex and he is a celibate man. You're like, what could a celibate man know possibly about sex? Well, let me tell you, when it, when you, when it says, like when you go get your driver's license and it says sex and you have to circle something, it doesn't say yes or no, <laughs> right? Yeah, you're not, it's not like, what is your sex? You're like, yes. <laughs> no. When it asks you what your sex is, you either say male or female. Every single human being can relate to that. Pope John Paul while he was not having sex, Pope John Paul wrote three-fourths of the church teachings on sex. How crazy is that? 
because he knows something about not the act of sex, but he, I mean, he, which he does, and he, a lot of his experience was as a counselor to married couples, right? Pope John Paul is a philosopher, a theologian, a psychologist. I mean, he's an amaz- amazing man who is now blessed and going to be a saint and um, canonized a saint soon. Pope John Paul was a human being, and he wrote from experience as a human person, as a, you know, as a male. And when he goes back to the beginning, he goes back and he looks back to the, the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. So he goes back when Pope John Paul in his theology of the body, right, which he wrote, it's, I mean, it took him five years to deliver this book that he had written. It took him five years every Wednesday at the Wednesday audiences from 1979 to 1984. It took him five years to deliver this entire book every week. Um, about basically how we were created as male and female and what we were made for. So he says in the beginning, and Pope John Paul, I, I, love, I love Pope John Paul and how he does this. He says, you know, he talks about in the beginning, we were created out of love. In the beginning, we were created out of love. And because God is love, it says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. So God created the world because love, if you guys know what love is, love can never just be kept within Love always has to go out. The, the, the big word is called, it's called diffusive, right? Kind of like, I, I joke about like teenage girls, when teenage girls are in love, like they're like little turkeys. They're like, ah! you know what I mean? They're telling everybody about their crushy crush because they're in love. Because love always has to go out. It can't be kept within. So because God is love, God had to create. Like God created out of that love because love always goes outward. So God created the world so that we might share in that love. God created the world out of nothing, right? We look in Genesis, we see that, you know, it was a formless wasteland. God created the world, and, you know, he separated the sky from the sea. Then God separated the land from the sea. Then God created the moon, the stars, and the sky. Then God created the flying things, the creepy crawly things, the swimming things, the animals. And on the sixth day, who did God create? Us, right? It says, it says that God created them male and female in his image and likeness. He created us, male and female, in his image and likeness. And after every day of creation, God said, it is good. I don't know what his, I kind of hope that God's voice is like Morgan Freeman, you know, <laughs> like sweet molasses, you know, um, and it is good. But after God created us, male and female, God said, it is very good. Why? Because you and I, every single person, whether you are Catholic or not Catholic, every person on this earth was created in the image and likeness of love. If we were made in the image and likeness of God and God is love, we were created in the image and likeness of love. That means every person, again, whether you are Catholic or not Catholic, whether you are atheist, whatever, it means that every person knows inherently that we were made to be loved and to give love. And we all, you know, I studied psychology in in college and you kind of see when when someone is not loved, like especially when when someone grows up like the boy who was raised by wolves, you know, you see that as human beings, we are meant to be loved and cared for in a certain way. And when we're not loved like that, we are, it's devastating to our human person. In fact, how do we know this? Well, just look at all the breakup songs on the radio, listen to the words and people are angry. I'm telling you, you listen, listen to the words. I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped up four-wheel drive. I'm like, girl, on a scale of one to Adele, how angry are you? Okay? <laughs> For reals. Why? Because we all know, we all know we were made for authentic love. 
in our hearts, we all know that we were made for an authentic love that lasts forever. There are certain characteristics that love has that we all know we were made for. And that's why when someone breaks up with us or cheats on us or betrays us or hurts us or we're not loved rightly, it is painful. So we, we see that we were all created for love, to be loved, to give love. Well, we, when you go to the second creation story, it gets a little more specific. In the second creation story, I'm going to actually just go to this next. Um, in the second creation story, it says that Adam was created first. And Adam, Adam knew he was made for love. So Adam looked around, and I don't know if you guys have read this, the Bible and have read this, but it's really funny. I laughed when I read this. It says, Adam looked around at the animals to find a suitable partner. Now, I don't know if you think that's funny, but I can imagine Adam's like walking around. He's like looking at the giraffe. He's like, I want to cuddle. And the giraffe's like, hmm. I don't actually know. What does the giraffe say? I don't know, people. <laughs> So he looks at a giraffe, he's like, I want to cuddle. And then he goes to like the koala, which looks all cuddly, but koalas are ferocious animals. They're bears for a reason, people. You know, so he's like, goes to the koala. He's like looking for love, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? So Adam is looking and he realizes that none of them, none of the animals are like him. And Pope John Paul calls this original solitude. Adam realizes that he's alone. And it's not good because he realizes that he was made to love someone like him. Of course he was made to love the animals, but, he, but they can't freely choose to love him back like he could love them. And so it says in scripture, Adam realized that he was alone. And so what did God do? God saw this and said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so who did God create? woman, right? <laughs> and you know, I always joke about like, what was Adam's response to woman? Was it, hey babe, what's up? Let's make some babies. No, that was not his response. I, I, I laugh because guys, like whenever they see an attractive woman, they kind of do this, this thing. I don't know why guys do that. I call it the neck flick. It's almost like guys, you imagine there's some magic potion like shoots out of your neck. I almost like watch, it's like the nature channel. It's like the human male. He sees a pretty lady that he likes. He puffs out his chest and ruffles his feathers, and he does the neck flick. It's like, and the pheromones waft over, and she smells, wah, wah, you know, and it's like, and the mating season began, you know, so I don't know. Guys do funny things. Or, like, also, guys do this other funny thing when you're checking a girl out. Ladies, you know when you're, like, a guy's checking you out, you can feel, like, burning on the side of your face. You're like, where is it? Where is it? You know? I don't know. Um, guys, you also say this funny thing, like if girls look back, you're like, I wasn't looking, you know, oh, that's a cool fan, you know. Um, however, just warning you, if you're ever in Italy, um, the guys are very forward. So like guys, like they'll be checking you out. If you look back, they'll be like, ciao. And you're like, ew, you're 80, you know. Ugh. I had one guy too in Italy be like, you dropped something. I'm like, what? He's like, my heart. It's like, what a cheese ball, you know, so... Or Adam, so Adam didn't do like the Netflix, hey baby, what's up, let's make some babies. And he also didn't do like the, huh. and also Adam did not do um, my favorite, the cheesy Catholic pickup lines. <laughs> my two favorite Catholic pickup lines are, girl, if I had a rosary bead for every time I thought of you, I'd have a glorious mystery. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. That's one of my favorites. My second favorite is, um, <clears throat> my second favorite is, girl. I would say God bless you, but clearly he already has. <laughs> okay, and you know what? I just, I'll tell you the third because 
I can't say this with high school teenagers, but you're a young adult, so I totally can say this one. And I've said it in the presence of priests, so and they laughed, um, so I can tell you. <laughs> but they also were from the Netherlands, so they might be a little hoo-hoo. No, just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Um, my other favorite one is, girl, do you need some healing? Do you need some prayer? Because I really want to be laying my hands on you. <laughs> See why I can't tell the teenagers? Okay. <laughs> No, okay. So anyway, so Adam's response was not a cheesy Catholic pickup line. It was not, you know, it was not like the next, like Adam's response to Eve was at last, like this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh at last. Like this is the one that is like myself. This is the one I was made to love, to be a gift for. Right. And so Adam, he sees Eve and just like a little side aside about why was woman created last you know, some women, when I tell them, oh, woman was created last. I'm like, of course, that's how it always is. I will kill you. You know, they get all sassy, like bone quick I don't know why. Um, but why was woman created last? Well, Pope John Paul calls woman the crown of creation. And Pope John Paul says, why is woman created last? Because if you notice in the order of creation, everything gets more and more beautiful and more and more complex. So ladies... Ladies, you are the most beautiful and most complex creature in all of creation. That is why men will never understand us. That's right. That's right. And why? Why is a woman more complex than man? Um, Because guys, um, no matter how hard you try, you cannot get breakers. Okay? That is why. A woman is more complex because she can bear life. And she, I mean, how amazing is that, like, that she can actually partake in that life? And in fact, Fulton Sheen, I love this quote, Fulton Sheen said that when a woman is pregnant, she is like a walking tabernacle of life. I mean, and what do you do in front of a tabernacle when you go to church? You genuflect, right? You reverence the fact that that tabernacle is filled with, with what? Jesus, the bread of life. And so Fulton Sheen said that when a, when a woman is pregnant, she's like a walking tabernacle of life. And she's so sacred, in fact, that you could genuflect in front of her. And in fact, that is actually why a guy gets on his knee to propose. And girls are like, ah, oh, so <laughs> Because he's reverencing the fact that she is sacred. She's the crown of creation and she can bear life. Well, what's also amazing about this fact is Pope John Paul says, individually as a man and individually as a woman, yes, we reflect God. We are made in the image and likeness of God. However, we more fully reveal who God is together. Not just male and female, but actually in the fact that we are called for, to communion and we see that stamped right in our bodies. We see that in our bodies, our bodies don't make sense on their own. Guys, have you ever thought that? By yourself? You're like, I don't make sense by myself. You know, like the fact that a man's body, it doesn't make sense on its own. A woman's body doesn't make sense on its own. We see stamped in our bodies because our bodies are not just biological. We are not just animals without souls. Our bodies are theological. That's why it's called theology of the body because our bodies reveal something about God. What do they reveal? A man and a woman are not meant to be alone. And stamped in their bodies is the call to be one flesh. The call for union and communion. And so what does this show us about God? It shows us that you guys, we are not meant to be alone. We are not meant just to be this like this person that is, doesn't give anything. We are meant to be a gift to another. And yes, some here, and that's the thing is like we we're t- today we're talking about sex, but we're also talking about being a gift. And so whether you are married and you're a gift or that way, or whether you're called to be a priest 
like Father Jacob, or to be a religious, you still are called to be a gift. Why? Because ultimately, our, whole, our ultimate destination is heaven. And if you look at scripture, it's amazingly crafted love story. In the beginning of the Bible, you have the first wedding between a man and a woman. And in the last book of the Bible, you have another wedding. What's the last book of the Bible? Revelation. In the last book of the Bible, there's a different kind of wedding. And this time, the wedding is between who? It's between Christ and the... Do we realize that the wedding between a husband and a wife, the marriage and sex is a foretaste, it's a sign that points us to the wedding feast of heaven. Have you ever been told that heaven is eternal ecstasy? You're like, no, but I want to go there now. You know? Why? Because we're told that heaven, I mean, for some reason in our like our catechesis, like growing up in our CCD classes, we're like, oh, heaven's just a nice place where you basically are feeding Jesus grapes and fanning him. You know, like I kind of had this idea of heaven or like that heaven was like a really boring church service. Like I imagine the lady at my church in heaven and she like, whenever she sings a really high note, it looks like her eyeballs are going to pop out of her head. You know, she's like, and he will raise you up on eagle's wings. I'm like, don't sing higher. They're going to pop, you know? But when I found out that heaven is not a boring church service, although it is mass is a foretaste of heaven as well. Heaven is eternal joy and eternal ecstasy. In heaven, there is no more weeping, no more pain, no more suffering. And that sex, the love between a man and a woman, and the a husband and wife is the greatest analogy. And now it falls extremely short of showing God's love for his people. But the most used analogy of God's love for us is that of a husband for his wife, that of a bridegroom for his bride. And sex is just a foretaste of heaven. Could you imagine if our culture knew that? You make me feel like I've been locked out of heaven for too long. I'm like, Bruno Mars, you're such a prophet. <laughs> I remember I remember hearing that song for the first time and be like, oh my gosh, he is so close. You know, he's like, and your sex takes me to paradise. I'm like, you know, and then he's like, oh, the whole second verse is like, he's like, Hi, basically your love makes me want to get down on my knees and pray. I'm like, what the, you know, and it's amazing that every single person, like the prophet Bruno Mars, every single person knows. <laughs> I'm telling you, every single person knows that we are made for something greater. And that's why we're so addicted to sex in our culture is because it does, it is a foretaste of heaven, but it also can be a foretaste of hell. If true marital love is a foretaste of heaven, then sex without, without of its context is also a foretaste of hell. Because what is hell? Hell is the absence of who? God. And so sex in, without God is a foretaste of hell. <sighs> right? And you guys, here's the deal. Bruno Mars isn't the only prophet. I also, I, lo I love listening to pop music because I feel like in our hearts, it comes out pop, you know, and pop music comes out sometimes what is actually going on in the human heart, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Katy Perry or Lady Gaga, whoever it is. And I joke about how Adam, when he was looking, you know, Adam is looking for Eve. He's looking for someone to love. Adam's really singing because I, I come from a very musical family. My family's kind of like glee on crack. Okay. Like, yeah, we literally sing the birthday song in five part harmony. Um, and so I imagine Adam, I imagine when Adam is looking for the one, he's like, 
Each morning I get up, I die a little. Can barely stand on my feet. Take a look in the mirror and cry. Lord, what you doing to me? I have spent all my years believing you. I just can't get no relief. Oh, somebody, somebody. Can anybody find me? Somebody to love her. It's like, I was roaming around. I was looking down. You know that I could use somebody. Or he's like, I just need somebody to love. I, I don't need too much. Just somebody to love. Even Bieber knows the ache of Adam, okay? <laughs> Clearly, he's looking for love in all the wrong places lately, okay? But you guys, we see that if sex is a foretaste of heaven and male and female, we were created in the image and likeness of God. There are a few things that happen from here. How are we made in the image and likeness of God who is love? Well, guess what? This is pretty awesome. Love is not just one. Love can never just have one. Love is not a solitude. Love always has to have the lover, the beloved, and then the love between them. So we have Guess what? Even in God, God is not a solitude. God is what? He's a communion of persons. God is a trinity. God is three persons in one. I mean, it's like, so even with God, you have the lover who is God the Father. And God the Father gives his love to the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the beloved. And then Jesus receives that and gives it back. And the love between them, it keeps going like this. And it actually creates another person called the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? As male and female, we are created in the image and likeness of the trinity, so much that a husband loves his wife. He gives that love to his wife. The wife receives that. And the love between them is so great that it actually creates another person. And nine months later, you have to name it. (laughs) We were made in the image of the Trinity as male and female. And what's amazing about the fact that each and every one of us was made for communion, if you've ever felt that ache or that longing in your heart, If you've ever felt lonely before, you've all experienced the ache which God has created us for. And that ache, it's not just for a human being, which it partly could be. If you're called to marriage, great. But I remember feeling that ache very strongly when I was like 20, 22. And I remember this very clearly. I was a youth minister at a parish in Ventura. And I remember one day I was sitting like in my room and I was, I really felt this ache. I call it the ache of singlehood, right? <laughs> this ache of singlehood where like, oh God, just bring me my future spouse now or else I'm going to explode, you know? And feeling that ache very strongly, you know, and, and just thinking, God, where is my future husband? Like these ovaries are ticking. Like we're not, they're not going to last forever. So, sorry. Um, <laughs> just aside, it's true. Um, <laughs> but I was like wondering, where is he? And you know what's amazing is I totally did the Bible roulette, which I do not recommend. You know Bible roulette where you take the Bible, you go like this, and you kind of point your finger? People, I do not recommend this because there are some creepy passages in the Bible, okay? One of my favorite creepy passages, um, my friend who signed a book, he, he couldn't remember if the, the passage was Psalms 138.8 or Psalms 38.8 because the one he was looking for says, God's love endures forever. Praise be the Lord, right? So he wrote Psalms 38.8, and then he realized he went home and to see what it was. And the scripture passage says, my loins burn with a fever for you. He's <laughs> like, that sounds like a personal problem if you ask me. Yikes. And that lady was like, what? What kind of music is this? 
So, yeah. So don't ever do Baba Roulette because you might end up on also the passage in like 1 Kings or 2 Kings, which is like the she-bear then came out of the forest and ate the 42 children alive. You're like, ah, that is not what I was asking for, God. Um, So anyways, I totally did the Bible roulette when I was feeling that lovely ache of singlehood. And the, the passage that I came upon was this, Psalm 63, which is actually one of my favorite psalms. And it actually, if you ever do um, the Liturgy of the Hours, it comes up every Sunday, the, like the, the solemnity, like the first Sunday. And it says this, Oh God, you are my God. It is you I seek. For you, my body yearns. For you, my soul thirsts like a land that is parched, lifeless, and without water. So I look to you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory, for your love is better than life. You guys, in our bodies, stamped in our bodies, the call to communion is actually showing us that that ache is for God. And that even if you get married, if you are called to marriage, even when you find your vocation, guess what? That ache is not going away. When I got married, I thought, I mean, I knew only God can satisfy the desires of my heart. Because like C.S. Lewis says, right? If I have desires in myself that nothing in this world can satisfy, I must know that I was created for something other than this world. Well, guess what? We weren't made for this world. We were made for heaven. That is every single one of us. That is our goal and our destiny. And you guys, if we were made for heaven, then the desires within our bodies, the desires within our hearts are going to be pointing us to heaven, aching for heaven, aching for eternal love. We're not going to be satisfied with a finite love. We're not going to be satisfied with a love that says, I will love you until death do us part. When I got married, guess what happened to that ache? It got bigger. That ache for God, you know, I thought maybe, because like, you know, you watch all these movies, like Jerry Maguire, he's like, you complete me. And I'm like, Jerry Maguire, you're a heretic, you know? Because <laughs> the truth is, no human being on this earth can complete you. My husband is the most attractive, I mean, my husband is like the most perfect man for me. I couldn't have imagined a better man for me. I am so in love with my husband. He's my best friend. He is, he is hot. Um, but more attractive than his looks is his holiness. He is a holy man. And when I first met him, his holiness was like radiating and I was so attracted to his holiness. But guess what? Every married person can tell you that no, not even their spouse can satisfy an ache that is for eternity, an ache that is for an infinite love. And guess what? There's no marriage in heaven of a human, a man and a wife. You're, it says, I will love you until what? Till death. Why? Because why would you need the sign of marriage when you're actually participating in the marriage that you were called to? the marriage of Jesus, the bridegroom, and us, the church, the bride. The love of a husband and a wife is only a sign. It's a foretaste of the marriage. You guys, guess what? The marriage of the bridegroom and the bride in heaven, if you think you've experienced joy on this earth, if you think you've experienced ecstasy on this earth, you just wait. It is but, it is but I mean, it is but a grain I mean, truly, St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, God showed him 
you know, I think he asked, he asked like, God, show me what heaven is like. And I think he was like, it was one of the same, was it St. Thomas Aquinas or St. Francis? One of them asked God to show heaven and they were put in a coma for three days. And it's just amazing. I think it was St. Thomas Aquinas because then God, you know, basically St. Thomas Aquinas said, everything I have written is like straw. And St. Thomas Aquinas is one of the most brilliant saints who's ever walked this earth. And so how awesome is that, you guys? If you, you know, if we, if we can experience that little bit of joy, we know that we were made for something so much more. Well, here's the deal. You guys, oh, oh actually, I'm going to show you this quote because this is a pretty awesome quote. Um, this is by JP2 when he was just Carol Wojtyla, um, and he wrote Love and Responsibility, which is, by the way, a, an amazing, amazing book. It's very heady, but if you can read this, whew, it is good. He says, it is not sexuality which creates in a man and a woman the need to give themselves to each other, but on the contrary, it is the need to give oneself latent in every human person which finds its outlet in physical and sexual union in matrimony. But the need to give oneself to and unite with another person is deeper and connected with the spiritual existence of the person. It is not finally and completely satisfied simply by the union with another human being. Considered in the perspective of the person's eternal existence, marriage is only a tentative solution of the problem of a union of persons through love. He's saying, no, we don't know because of sex that we are made. We actually know because every single person is created to be a gift. And ultimately, to be a gift back to God. Because God gave himself, his, he gave us his entire life on that cross. And God doesn't demand an hour from us on Sundays. No, he demands everything. God's not like, I don't just want you one hour on Sundays at church. Which we sometimes complain about. Oh, that mass was so long. No, no, no. God wants all of you. Why? Because he gave you all of him. He gave everything. He gave his life. And so he wants that. He dem- God demands that in return. If you want to get to heaven, you got to lay down everything. Got to lay down your entire lives. So I just thought, like, that's an, that's an amazing, amazing quote right there. Um, but here's the deal. Someone else was lurking around the garden that day. Who was that? Satan, the serpent, the devil, right? The word is Nahesh, which actually means shimmering one. Why? Because Lucifer is a fallen what? Angel. Who is the opposite of God? Nice. Who said that? There is no opposite. God has no opposite. Compared to God, the devil is like a little rat. Who is the devil's opposite? If the devil is a fallen angel, who is the opposite of the devil? St. Michael. If you've ever seen a statue of St. Michael, he is like stepping on the head of Satan with his sword and, he's, and the devil's like, ah, you know. And what's amazing, the devil has no power over God. And you know what the devil, the, you know, the devil doesn't, he's not a creator. All the devil can do is twist what God has created. Do you realize that every evil thing in this world is actually just a twisting of what was good? If you guys want to see what is most sacred in this world, all you have to do is see what has been most profaned. Look at sex. Sex is good and holy and it reveals, it like is a foretaste of heaven. What has been more profaned than anything in this world? Sex. The devil cannot create. The devil can only twist and manipulate. Yeah, that's a really good word is manipulate. So the devil, what does the devil do? He, the devil's also in the garden. Who does the devil go to first? 
He goes to the woman. Why? Because the woman is the crown of creation. She can bear life. Guess what? The devil hates two things very much. The devil hates love because God is love. And the devil hates life. And it says in scripture that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But that Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance or life to the full. And because a woman can bear life and ultimately, ironically, in the, at the end of time, who defeats the devil? Who is stomping on the devil's head besides St. Michael? Mary. Mary. Oh, the devil is so jealous of woman and her beauty. Because if woman is the most beautiful creature in all of creation, the fact that in the order of heaven, the last shall be first, that a human being like Mary is going to be higher than the angels? Oh, he kills the devil. He hates woman. He hates us. So who does the devil go to first? He goes to a woman. He goes to Eve. And what does he say to Eve? He says, did God really tell you not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? For surely God knows that if you eat that fruit, your eyes will be opened. Surely God knows that if you eat that fruit, you, you basically will know what is good. And, and you'll become like God. And Eve is probably thinking, what? That's, that's weird. But, but why wouldn't God want my eyes to be open? Why wouldn't God want us to become like God's? What? And the devil does what he does best. The devil's a liar. He's called the father of lies. The devil is a deceiver. He deceives Adam and Eve into thinking what? To thinking, yeah, that they could be God. And that God is holding out on them. That God is not this amazing father, but that God is a tyrant. And that God's not going to give them the good gifts. God's holding out. And so what do Adam and Eve do? Rather than receiving the gift like this, because this is how you receive a gift, right? Rather than waiting for God to give them the gift himself, what did they do? They took it into their own hands. You guys, I'm just going to tell you. If you have to choose between doing God's will and between taking it into your own hands and doing your will, I'm going to tell you, his will is always better. I will tell you that in every relationship that I tried to take into my own hands, it was not good. But every time I, any decision, whether it was a job, whether it was my future husband, when I decided to wait on God for him to give me the gift, amazing. But whenever we take it into our own hands, it never turns out great. Um, and so the devil totally tricks, he deceives them and lies. So Adam and Eve, of course, they do take it in their own hands. They eat of the fruit. And guess what? Their eyes were opened. But their eyes were opened not in a good way. And guess what? They did become like gods. How? Because now they get to choose for themselves what is right and wrong. And how were their eyes opened? Well, Adam and Eve were naked without shame in the garden. They were naked, fully in their birthday suits, right? And Adam could look at Eve, fully naked, and not lust after her. He saw her, and he saw her as a gift. He saw the call to become one with her, did not lust. And Eve could look at him, fully naked, and see him as a human person, not as an object for her use. But when they... When the original sin happened and sin entered in the world, so did lust. And yes, their eyes were open, but now comes in concupiscence, which means now they were inclined to look at each other as objects for their own pleasure. 
You know what Pope John Paul in Love and Responsibility? Pope John Paul said the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is use. That we would use somebody as an object for our own pleasure. Isn't that true today? We look at how sex has been twisted, something so beautiful, so good, and we look at our hookup culture, and Pope John Paul calls hooking up, he calls it mutual prostitution. I was like, whoa, that's rough, Pope John Paul. (laughs) Dang. He calls it mutual prostitution. Why? What do you do in prostitution? Somebody gives something for something in return, right? You give money for sex, or you give sex for money. He says hooking up, the mutual use of another person as an object, oh, well, it's fine. We're, it's we're consenting adults, right? I'm using you for pleasure and you're going to use me. So that's great. He's like, no, mutual prostitution. He calls pornography. Pope John Paul says the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much, but that it shows too little because it only shows a body and not a body and a soul. You guys here, and this is where Puritans separate from Catholics. And this is where basically the rest of the world separates from our church is because when it came to Descartes, you all remember Descartes who said, I think therefore I am right. You know what that did for us? That made, and Pope John Paul said that the, he's like, I've come to believe that the philosophy of the 16th century, which was the Cartesian philosophy, the Descartes, I think therefore I am Pope John Paul said, I've come to believe that this philosophy is evil. Why? Because since then we have separated the body from the soul. When, when Descartes said, I think therefore I am, basically he was saying his body is a human machine to be manipulated. That his body and his soul aren't really one. I'm just housed in a body. I'm a soul. I'm, a, you know, I'm my thoughts. I'm just housed in this prison. And basically that is the basis for every heresy in the church. In the sense of, if we don't believe that the body is good, every, every heresy of the church is against the incarnation. It's against the flesh. If we don't believe the body is good, and that we are, not, we are not just trapped inside this body. You guys, we have to know this. That as human beings, we are not angels. Yes, my last name is Angel, but I'm not an angel because that's heresy. You know, luminous beings are mm, like Yoda, you're a heretic. You know, why? Because we aren't angels, which are souls or spirits without a body. We are not, also not animals who are bodies without a spirit. We are human beings. And in, in fact... The fact that we have a body and a spirit, that's what creates us human beings. Do you know what it's called when your body and your spirit are separated? Death. Do you know why we're so afraid of bodies without spirits? They're called what? Zombies. You know why we're so afraid of spirits without bodies? They're called ghosts. It's because that is the rupture of a human being. Death is a cosmic obscenity of what it means to be human. In the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, we weren't meant for death. I don't know if you know that. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were not going to die. But when sin entered the world, so did death. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And do you realize every time we sin, it's actually a rupture of our body and our soul. I don't know if you've ever listened to the song by Maroon 5, the um, One More Night. He's like, so I cross my heart and I hope to die, that I'll only stay with you one more night. You know, and then basically he says, um, 
Try to tell you no, but my body keeps on telling you yes. Try to tell you stop, but your lipstick got me so out of breath. He's like, I'll be waking up feeling satisfied, but guilty as hell. You know what this guy is saying? He's saying that my body, my soul is telling me one thing and my body is telling me another. And I can't do anything about it. You know what that's called? Death. And you know what that's the definition of unchastity. The definition of chastity is not, oh, we're just going to be good people who never think about sex ever. That's not the definition of chastity, you guys. The definition of chastity is that our souls and our bodies are doing the same thing. How awesome is that? That's the definition of what chastity is. Is that when my husband and I were dating, and yes, I'm attracted to him. I know I want to be married to him. I know I want to give everything to him. I'm looking at my husband, and my soul is saying, I want to wait for you. I'm going to wait for you because I respect you. I respect your body. You deserve the best. You deserve all my love. You deserve all of me, not just a little bit. And so when my body was like, I want to pounce you, you know, there would be times and Bobby and I, I mean, I love this man to death. There'd be times when Bobby and I were like, you know, we're like struggling or whatever. And literally like one of us would push each other down and like run the opposite direction. You know what I'm saying? Like you do what you can for chastity people. I'm saying we as human beings, like we have to know we have desires and they are good. Chastity is not being like, oh, well, I don't have any desires. No, that's called Puritanism. That's called Stoicism. When you pretend like you don't have sexual desires or you pretend like you don't have desires. I love the analogy of food because I'm a food person. I love food. I love this analogy that some, a lot of us were brought up with a starvation gospel. A lot of us were brought up being told, don't have sex, don't do it, it's bad, right? Just don't do it, you're going to go to hell, right? A lot of us were raised that way. You know what that's called? That's called, like, if somebody just says, you're hungry, just starve. Don't think about food, just don't eat, just starve, right? However, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, the world then tells you the fast food gospel. The world is like, oh, come on, you have these desires? Just, just eat whatever, just go ahead and eat McDonald's. You all saw what happened to that guy who ate McDonald's for every meal of every day, right? He was about to die. But the world tells you, oh, come on, sex, it's not that big of a deal. Just do it. Everyone's doing it. You guys are just animals anyways. Just throw them condoms because y'all are going to do it. I'm like, really? I'm not just involved monkey. Thank you. I am a human being who can choose. So guess what? Thank God our Catholic church doesn't say starve yourself. Don't, Don't even think about your desires. And we also don't say, oh, your desire is not that big of a deal. Just go have sex. Everyone's doing it. Well, guess what? If you were raised to to starve, if your parents told you that you should starve, well, guess what? When a warm chicken nugget comes along, it looks really good. I like this guy. He's clapping. He's like, that's right. And those chicken nuggets, they they are tasty. But right, do you guys know that Playboy magazine was started by Hugh Hefner because he said in his autobiography that he was not hugged enough as a child. His family was very puritanistic and he starved for human affection and love. Now he went from one extreme completely to the other. Well, guess what? You know what's amazing is that as Catholics, we believe there's a third option. We don't just say, oh, our desires are bad. Just stuff them. When it comes to like lusting after a woman, just pretend like you aren't attracted to that woman over there. No, no, no. 
There's a third way. And I, I love that I get to tell this story because Paul Kim was here last week. Paul's a good friend of mine. And we've, we've been friends for a while. And um, he's now my, my husband's workout buddy. They love leg day. It's their favorite. Um, so Paul, Paul and I were walking in a mall one day. And there was a huge poster, like a Victoria's Secret poster, right? We were in the mall. And both of us turned our heads away. I turned my head because as a woman, we're constantly tempted to compare ourselves to like these airbrush models, right? Who have no cellulite. I'm like, that's not real, you know? And so I'm always, you know, tempted to like compare myself. Oh, she's so much skinnier. She's so much more beautiful, all this. Paul, he turns his head away from this, this poster. And he goes, that is somebody's sister. That is somebody's daughter. Her name is Dolores. I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, well, he's like, a priest told me that if I'm ever tempted to lust after a woman, that I should give her a name. And I'm like, Dolores, really? <laughs> That's my grandma's name. Weirdo. No, but you know, I was like, wow, how amazing that the priest didn't just say, don't look at the woman. Just turn your head. Pretend like you have no desires. No, the priest said, no, I want you to be able to look at that woman as a human being, not as an object. In the garden that day, that's when all, that's when the poop hit the fan. I would say it, but it's being recorded, people. This stuff lasts forever. I'll say it in Greek, scubula. That's when the scubula hit the fan. Yes. Um, I learned that from Peter Kreeft. Uh, so that's when the scubula hit the fan is in the garden, is that at that moment, we were tempted to make each other objects for our own use and pleasure. And you guys, every single one of us, have to look in our hearts because that's one of my other favorite parts about theology of the body is Pope John Paul talks about the law and how the law, the 10 commandments, they're great. But Jesus always takes it further into the heart. He says, guess what? I know that it says you should not commit adultery, but he says, but if you even look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. Do you know that people who commit adultery are condemned to hell? How many of us have looked at someone lustfully? Every single hand. You know what the good news is? Is that the good news is that we're not just stuck here saying that it's not possible to, well, it's not possible to look at someone and not lust. Yeah, it is. And you know what, Jesus, that's why he came, is to transform our hearts, is to heal us. Not just to give us more laws and more rules to follow as Catholics. No, no, no. Jesus came to actually transform our our wicked hearts. You guys, I know each one of us, we have a great capacity for love, but we also, each one of us has a great capacity for evil. If you've ever struggled with any kind of sexual sin, whether it's pornography, masturbation, if it's hooking up, if it's sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, each one of us knows that we have a great capacity for evil, but also a great capacity for love. And the question is, are we going to allow Christ to transform our hearts? Are we going to pretend like we don't have these desires, like they don't exist? Or are we going to just give into the culture and be like, oh, it's not that big of a deal? Or are we going to say, no, you know what? This matters. Sex, it matters. Why? Because it's a foretaste of heaven. And actually, when you have sex with a body, you don't just have sex with a body. You have sex with a soul. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples? of the Holy Spirit within you. That when you have sex with a prostitute, you literally are becoming one flesh with her. It was like, that was actually the Bible verse that St. Augustine, when St. Augustine was sleeping with his girlfriend, St. Augustine did the Bible roulette and he fell on that verse. And St. Augustine, 
he, he was convicted because God was working in St. Augustine's life, obviously through the prayers of his mother, St. Monica, for 20 years. She prayed for her idiot son and her idiot husband. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you have an idiot, if you're ever a mom one day and you have an idiot husband and idiot son, you go to St. Monica because she had both. And she prayed, and her husband, who cheated on her, was an awful man, he had a conversion before he died. St. Augustine became one of the greatest saints in our church. St. Augustine, at that moment when he read that Bible scripture, St. Augustine said, God, why did it take me so long to realize this? God, you were everywhere. God, I was looking for you everywhere. But God, you were here the entire time. God, you shouted and you broke into my deafness. God, you blinded me with your light in my darkness. God, why did it take me so long? You were here the whole time. I kept looking for you in all these things. I kept looking for you in sex. I kept looking for you in popularity and all this. And the whole time you were right here waiting for me. And at that moment, St. Augustine realized in one of the most quoted quotes in all of Christianity is this quote, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You guys, when we realize that sex is not just, oh, it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal. When we actually realize that it's not just good, it's sacred. We start to realize, and the last thing I'm just going to close with is that sex is actually an incarnation of the wedding vows. Even if you have sex your body with someone who you're not married to, your body is making a promise whether you do or not. How amazing is that? Our bodies, our souls know that we were made for one person forever. We're not made for a harem of people. When I said those vows, and the thing is, we the four like kind of marks of, of real authentic love, and this is how you know if someone actually loves you, they will always, it always has these four things. If you want to know if something is authentic love, it will have these four things. And these are the vows that you take on your wedding day. Um, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to show you a picture. Yay, on our wedding day. That was us on our wedding day. See, I told you, he is so hot. Um, <laughs> on our wedding day, we took vows. We took four vows. And we said, and these are the marks, this is what authentic love is. Authentic love will always say, and, and sex is an incarnation of these wedding vows. So every time you have sex, you are renewing your wedding vows. So if you're not married to the person, Pope, Pope John Paul basically says, you are lying with your body. Because our bodies tell truths and our bodies tell lies. I mean, guys, how many of you, if a girl looks at you like this, you know what she's saying? You're like, oh, dang, she is going to cut me. Security, you know, you're like, run. You guys, we tell a lot by our bodies. And, you know, I'm telling you, the prophetess, Lady Gaga, she said in her song, listen to this song. She goes, I, in her song, Poker Face, she goes, I won't tell you that I love you, kiss or hug you, because I'm bluffing with my muffin. I don't think she's talking about pastries here, people. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you got a muffin top, you got a muffin bottom. Okay, so muffin top. Um, so Lady Gaga, that whole song, Poker Vase, is about lying during sex, not showing your true emotion. And I'm like, really, Lady Gaga? I think if you know what it means to lie with your body during sex, you know what the truth is. You guys, our bodies tell the truth. And the four marks of these truths, the incarnation of the wedding vows, which are free, total, faithful, and fruitful. Basically, on that wedding day, we came and we said, I, will, I love you freely. I came here freely. And all these four things are actually based on Christ's love for his people. If you, if you want to know what real love is, you look at the cross. And basically, 
at a wedding, you're saying, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you as Jesus did. And so you say, I come here freely. No one's pointing a gun. This is not a shotgun wedding. No one's pointing a gun to my head and make it. It's not an arranged marriage. Basically, I come here freely. I freely, in freedom, give myself to you. Guess what? If you are looking at pornography, you are not free to love. You are enslaved to your sin. If you can't say no to a sin, it means you are a slave to that sin. If my husband, thank God, my husband, five years ago, my husband lost his virginity in college. And thank God, God called him out of this manipulative relationship. And Bobby, who had struggled with pornography in college, he got rid of the pornography. And he has a friend who keeps him accountable. I am so, I, I always prayed for a husband that was not addicted to pornography. And every woman, every woman's like shaking her head, yes. I know marriages that have been ruined through pornography. I know relationships that have, it is, it is hor- it's horrible. And I know women are struggling, women struggle with it too. It's like a rising thing that now more and more women are struggling with pornography as well. And so we are saying on that wedding day, we said, I am free to love you. Both of us went to confession either the day of our wedding or the night before. And I confessed, I even said to my confessor, I said, I confess every sexual sin I've ever committed. If I forgot any, I I confess everything I've ever done with any guy. Because I'm not, just because I was a virgin when I got married does not mean I was perfect at all in my relationships. I messed up a lot. So I said, I confess anything that I have forgotten because I want to be completely free to marry this man. So I come here freely, without reservation. And I also know, without reservation, saying, I come here and I know I'm not settling. I'm not settling out of lust. I'm not settling out of fear or settling out of security just because I'm afraid of being alone. I come here without any reservation. I know this man is going to lead me to heaven because that's what marriage is for, is to lead us to heaven. So free, total. I say, I'm giving you myself totally, all of me, not just my body, but my soul and my mind and my heart. I give you everything, whether it is cray cray or not. Like I give you all of it, okay? And that, and that's probably one of the hardest parts of marriage is that you, you learn to love someone in the good and the bad. You learn to love someone with, you know, for us ladies, when we got the makeup on, we look all good. But when we wake up in the morning, our hair's like, you know, and like we got the breath of a rhinoceros, you know, I free total. I give you everything, my body, my soul, all of it. We will not use contraception because even that's saying I'm not giving you my reproductive organs. Oh, I give you all of me except not my reproductive organs. So it's saying, I come here totally because Jesus Christ on the cross said, I give you everything. I don't just give you a little bit. God said, when I lay down my life, I give you all of me. Free, total, faithful. I say, I will love you faithfully until death do his part. We will not cheat on each other. We will not look at each other people outside of our marriage. We will not look at anyone lustfully. Like all this stuff. Like, and this is, this is saying, like this, we need to look at our hearts, you guys. We, are, we come from a lot of crap in our families and I'm telling you, my family, my immediate and external family, in my family, there is pornography, adultery, divorce, abuse, rape, abortion. I got all that stuff in my family. And guess what? That stuff, it keeps happening over and over again in your families until somebody steps up and says, I don't want that anymore. If you have had divorce in your family, it's going to take you to say, I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for my spouse. If, you ha- if you've had abuse in your family history... It takes you to say, I don't want that for, for anybody in my future line. You guys, we got a lot of messed up stuff. Jesus came from a messed up lineage too. He came from a lineage where one of his uncles, you know, like one of the people in his family raped his sister. 
one of the prostitute married, you know, like Jesus comes from a messed up lineage too. We all do. So if there's stuff that you're dealing with, God can heal it. Free, total, faithful. So I'm saying to Bobby, I, I will love you faithfully for the rest of our lives. So that's his part. And the last thing is faith, free, total, faithful, and fruitful saying our relationship will bear fruit, not just physically in children. Although we say we're not going to use contraception because we believe that fruitfully our love will bear fruit in this way. But we are also saying, even if you can't have children, when you take the, if, even if someone is infertile, when they take those wedding vows, they're saying our marriage will bear fruit spiritually. That our marriage will bring life to people just as Jesus, his entire life bore fruit. And so these, this is the language of the body. And just the last thing is I love this quote. Pope John Paul said, only the chaste man and the chaste woman can experience authentic love. And I've had friends be like, oh, Jackie, well, we were living together and I loved him. I'm like, yes. I'm not saying you didn't love because there are different kinds of love. You have eros, love, right? Erotic love, which is the love between a man and woman. But then you have agape love. And if, and Bobby and I, because we, we're called to have eros as well, but Bobby and I call the mix of eros and agape, we call it eragape. Um, I'm like, I eragape you. <laughs> um, but truthfully, we are all called to agape love. And agape love is the unconditional selfless love that every single one of us was made for. And you guys, only the chaste man and the chaste woman can experience this love. A love that is purified. A love that is free from the world, really. You guys, it's, I'm telling you, it takes a lifetime to get here. What, whatever is going on in your heart, I mean, basically we always have to look into our hearts. What is going on in my heart? Do I struggle with lust? Do I struggle with emotional lust? Like ladies, like what we do when every time we see a single guy who's Catholic, we're like, he could be my husband. And then we start dreaming about our babies and our wedding colors in 0.2 seconds. We're like hamsters on crack, okay? We're like... He's single and Catholic? Is he the one? Is he single and Catholic? We do that, ladies, guys, just so you know. You know? <laughs> it's true, you know? So we can emotionally lust too. So the question is always is, when it comes to chastity, like when it comes to sex and all that stuff, the always thing is to look within our hearts. What is going on in my heart? Are my desires lining up with God's? Or are my desires twisted? You know, what, what is going on in your relationships? Are you sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend right now? Are you living with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Is that matching up with God's plan and with him calling you to true, authentic love? And love is not a feeling, people. If love were a feeling, Jesus would have been hugged to death or shot with bunnies, okay? <laughs> and this is the thing. If love is just a feeling, then on that wedding day... Those vows could have gone more like this. If love were just a feeling, I will love you until I don't feel like it anymore. I will love you and be married to you until you get fat and ugly and old. And then I will look for someone younger. If love were a feeling, those would be our vows. But love is a choice. And you guys, every day, just like with God, we have to choose to love. Love, the best definition of love is wanting the good of the other. Is it wanting the good of the other to have sex outside of marriage? No, it's not. Because you're basically saying, I'm risking you getting an STD. I'm risking you getting pregnant outside of marriage. I'm putting you in a state of mortal sin by having sex with you outside of where it's meant. Is it the loving thing to look at pornography? I mean, basically, that's how we say, do I really love this person? 
do I really want the good? And if you really wanted the good of the other, you would lead them to heaven. Amen? That is what true love for another person. Every relationship, you should ask yourself, am I leading this person to heaven or am I leading them to hell? Are they leading me to heaven or are they leading me to hell? That's a good question to ask, especially if you're discerning marrying that person. And so, you guys, every single one of us deserves the best. I know Paul, Paul Kim joked last week. He's like, he's going to tell you ladies not to settle. She's going to tell you not to settle. It's true. Do not settle, people. Do not settle. I'm telling you from my own experience, God has amazing, amazing plans. I know from my own life, and actually, if afterwards, I have, Bobby and I have a website. It's just JackieandBobby.com. I have cards up here if you forgot. You know, I, we have cards that have the website on it. Basically, Bobby and I write... Um, we write blogs about relationships and dating. He wrote a great blog about pornography. I wrote a blog about how the devil wants us to settle in relationships, and Bobby calls it my breakup blog. He's like, Jackie, you are going to be the patron saint of breakups one day. <laughs> he's like, and if you ever have a holy card, it's going to be like, you know how sometimes on a holy card it has like the object of your death? He's like, it's going to be all these angry boyfriends with like... <laughs> because for some reason, when people read this blog, because in this blog, I basically just go through and I list like... At like ask questions like if this is happening maybe you shouldn't be with this person if this is happening and so uh, people be like I broke up like we broke up two engagements actually last year which we were pretty proud of <laughs> it's like yes <laughs> listen people I just want people to be happy like I, I don't want them I these two friends actually that were engaged we prayer blocked them which means we knew the person maybe wasn't the best for them so we prayer blocked them which is like dear baby Jesus I know they want to marry this person but we know, <laughs> but Lord, whatever your will is, and if it is your will for them to break up, you know, that's how prayer blocking works. Um, I'm just saying, and guess what? What's amazing is when you see people when they break up and then they actually find their future spouse, it's pretty awesome. Like they find the person that they actually meant to be with, or they decide like I broke up with a guy who was about to propose to me a month before he was about to propose. And guess what? Now he's in seminary. You're welcome church. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, four guys. Four guys I dated are in seminary now. Yeah. I should be the vocations director of your diocese, Jacob. Yeah. No, but ser seriously, did I ever think that breaking up with that guy, it was a great relationship, great Catholic guy, did I ever think that that was going to lead him to be priest because I realized that we were not meant to be together? No, I didn't know that. But you guys, when you listen to God's will rather than taking it into your own hands. God always does amazing, amazing things. And so, um, just to wrap up, I just want us to close in prayer. Um, and this whole talk, bringing sexy back to its original meaning. I hope, basically, just in this last hour and ten minutes, um, that we've kind of seen what sex is actually meant to be. And that it's meant to be something good and beautiful and holy. And you guys, every single one of us... Um, whether you are called to marriage or you're called to consecrated single life or you're called to be a religious, every single one of us was made for heaven and we were made for that marriage feast in heaven with God. Amen? We were made for an eternal banquet. So my challenge to you is anytime you feel that ache in your heart, anytime you feel that longing, I want you to think that that's God knocking on your heart saying, I want to spend more time with you. That ache is a reminder that nothing in this world can satisfy any, nothing, no amount of success, money, relationships, nothing can satisfy that ache. And that ache reminds us that we were made for something more than this world. So if you just, I just want you to like close your eyes, bow your heads as we, as we pray.
as the bridegroom longs for the bride, so you draw us to your side. Yours a love so intimate. Here where earth and heaven kiss, this is holy ground. This is holy ground. Your love is better. Your love is better. Your love is better than this life. You hold me together. You're with me forever. Your love is better than this life. Of agony in your cross, our destiny can compare to your sweet love. The taste and sight of God above. This is holy ground. To quench my soul, it thirsts for you and you alone. Oh, your love is better. Your love is better. Your love is better than this life. You hold me together. You're with me forever. Your love is better than this life. I long for you. I long for you, God. I long for you. Mother Mary, we thank you. Thank you for saying yes so that the word could become flesh. In Jesus, we pray.
pray that, Lord, you become flesh in our very bodies. Lord, that you become present in our hearts. God, be with us in those times that it's tough to love authentically. Lord, I pray for any of us who are in really difficult situations right now. I pray for any of my brothers or sisters here that have been abused, any of those who've not had a father, a mother, who don't know how good they are, how much they deserve, how much they're worth. I pray for any of those in here who've experienced the pain of divorce from their parents or maybe even themselves. I pray that you help them to know that it is possible. It is possible to have a holy marriage. It is possible to have sex that is a foretaste of heaven, to see it as being something beautiful and not as something that's dirty. I pray for any of my brothers or sisters here who struggle with pornography. God, I pray that you give them good people in their lives to help them to be accountable to. God, thank you for the sacrament of confession, of reconciliation. That, Lord, we bring our failures, we bring our pain, our hurt to you, and Lord, you heal us. I pray for any of those here who are in relationships they know they shouldn't be in. God, give them the courage to get out of them. Help them to know they deserve the best. And Lord, you have an amazing plan in mind. And Mother Mary, we ask for your intercession. As together we say, Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, Okay, Jackie um, has some questions for us, so we're going to um, get in groups of maybe four, just in little table, two across from you maybe, get in groups of four, and here are your questions. Number one, what, li- uh, what lies about sex have you heard from the media, culture, friends, or even family and religious institutions? Number two, what about the church's teaching on sex challenges you, what, what about the church's teaching on sex challenges you or makes you uncomfortable the most in your life so two questions get in groups of four and we'll have about 10 minutes and then we'll wrap it up so chit chat have fun groups of four go ahead (laughs) 